Hello, City Church. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. You made it up. You made it out of the house eventually, even if you got confused about what time it was. So I'm excited to be ending this series, The Secret to Great Relationships. Have you guys been watching this? Yeah, okay, some people, that's okay. Have you guys been doing any of the things that you've learned? Oh, that was quiet. And that's a little concerning, that's okay. But let me recap what we've talked about because you don't need to know what's happened the last few weeks to get something out of today. But on the first week, Pastor Brent talked about loving like Jesus. Near the end of his life, he sat down with his disciples and he said, love as I have loved you. And he served them and he took the posture of a servant even though he was Jesus, the Son of God. It was amazing. And then the second week, Pastor Sherry brought it and she taught us about something called the right person myth. And what the right person myth says is, if I would just have the right boss, my relationships would be great. If I just had the right spouse, my relationships would be great. If I just had the right kids, the right parents, then our relationships would be great. But here's what Sherry taught us. Stop looking for the right person and become the right person. That's how we navigate that myth and that's how we have great relationships. And so I'm taking from there, I'm gonna talk about another myth today, but before we look forward, we're gonna look back, back to childhood, because so much about what we know and what we believe about relationships comes from when we are kids. Okay, let me tell you this story. One time I was about seven or eight years old, and I was sitting in front of my house, and then all of a sudden a group of kids from up the street came down. I was excited, oh hey, maybe we're gonna hang out and play. But they came down and they're like, hey, there's a kid up the street that's been talking trash about you. He's been talking to trash about you, and he might have even been talking trash about your mama. I was like, oh no, that's not good. And then you know how kids can like gather around you? And it felt like a very peer pressure situation. So they're gathering around me and like, what are you gonna do about it? And I was like, uh, nothing? Um, that's what I wanted to say. Because I don't know if you guys know, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm kind of like Ferdinand the Bull, right? That's how sensitive young John was. But I'm like, I don't really have any choice. Everybody's around me, they're like, fight. That's what they want. So I'm like, okay, I don't have a choice. I gotta go fight this kid. And so I start walking up the street and I already see that he is mad. Like big mad. And you know how when guys get mad, they're just like, oh man, I can't wait. Okay, here we go. Just walk into that circle like, oh man, yeah, okay, here we go. And so I'm coming up the street and I'm like, oh boy, I really do not wanna do this. This is not what I wanna do. And finally, I get up to him, and then the circle closes around us. I don't know how that happened, and I'm like, oh no, now I'm in the circle, and he's still walking in a circle. And so I start walking in a circle to try to get out, but there's no place to get out of the circle. And then he starts pushing me in the back, like, oh, come on, man, come on, man, come on. And I'm like, oh boy. So I turn around and I punch him in the face. And the fight was over. And it's not because I'm a devastating puncher, it's because a neighbor came out and started yelling at us. And we just scattered like roaches when the light turns on, like everybody ran their own way. And so after realizing everything I'd done, the adrenaline had worn down, I started walking back home and I sat on my street corner and I started crying. I started crying because I realized I'd hurt him and it didn't feel good and I felt a lot of different things about this. And my mom comes out and talks to me. She's like, why are you sitting out here and I said, I'm waiting for the police to come and get me. I'm a criminal. That's how I thought it worked. 
right? I punch somebody in the face, I'm going to jail even if I'm eight. Now that's childish, right? That's an immature understanding of how things work. But here's the good news. Now, I'm totally mature. I'm, why are you guys laughing? You know, uh, I'm a big boy, and I don't do childish things anymore. I'm a grown up. Okay, that's not true. And if we're all a little honest with ourselves, we might be able to see that there's some immaturity in our life. We might be able to see that there's some childish ways that we have in our life. But when we're adults, it looks a little bit different. And so maybe you hear someone's talking trash about you and you're like, well, it's time to step up. I'm about to throw down. And I'm like, man, you're 40. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Okay, maybe you're in a relationship. You have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you're like, oh, this is really hard. So you just ghost them and don't talk to them anymore. Right? Maybe you're mad at your parents, and you're so mad at your parents that you just say, ah, I can't deal with them. I'm leaving them alone. And it's like you're shutting the door to your room when you're a teenager. Maybe you sabotage someone at work that you're jealous of because you say, I wanna get that promotion. I wanna get, I wanna get promoted. I wanna get that raise. I wanna get all of that stuff. So you sabotage them. And for some of us, we're not going to a family reunion or a family function because of something that happened three decades ago, right? And for others of us, we're in a relationship, we're married, and we decide we're gonna cheat on our spouse. We have an affair because somebody else shows interest, just like we're in high school. Let me tell you this, high school doesn't end, we just get older. You can be immature about your relationships and be 90 years old. Growing older does not mean growing up. Growing older does not mean growing up. And that's what the grown-up myth is. We think, as I get older, I will automatically and naturally grow out of my childish ways. And when I say childish, you might be like, man, I'm not childish. Okay, I don't necessarily mean like a child. I just mean your past immaturity. Looking back and seeing the immaturity of the past. So like when we're teenagers, my teenagers in here, right, you look back to elementary school and you're like, I was such a little kid then, I'm so grown now, right? And you look back at your past and maturity. When you're in your 20s, you look at your teenage years and say, I can't believe I did that when I was a teenager, but I'm so much mature, more mature now, I'm a grown up. And when you're in your 30s, you look back to your 20s and you're like, what was I thinking? How did I do the things I did when I was in my 20s? But don't worry, I'm not immature anymore, I'm grown up now. And in our 40s, our 50s, our 60s, we look back and see the same thing because we can see the past immaturity. It's so much easier to see the immaturity in the past. And we think, look, anything that's happening right now, I'm just gonna grow out of it. I'll grow out of it and I'll get better at it. But let me ask you this question. What have you actually gotten better at without working on it? What have you gotten better at as you've grown older? Cooking? Your finances? Sports? Music? Anything? Have you gotten better without working on it? That's a really difficult thing to do. And the same thing applies to our relationships. It applies to our relationships because we can't just just stay how we are and get older and automatically become a grown-up. That's the grown-up myth, and I think we believe in the grown-up myth. And so we hold on to these things from our past. We hold on to our immaturity. We hold on to some of the childishness from our past, and we carry it forward, and it's difficult for us to see. But we want to become the kind of mature people 
that have great relationships because let me tell you, and you guys already know this, I don't need to tell you this, grown-up relationships have grown-up problems. And because they have grown-up problems, they require grown-ups to deal with them. We need to become the kind of mature people that could handle these relational problems that we have. We wanna know the secret to great relationships. And we can have it. We can have it, we can leave this past maturity, immaturity behind us and become grown-ups, but how? But how? Well, thankfully, Jesus' first followers knew that this was gonna be an issue. Even 2,000 years ago, this was a problem. And Jesus gave them a teaching, gave us all a teaching, right? Love others as I have loved you. Okay, that sounds really good and really easy, but for you and me, we're not the son of God, so it might be more difficult. And so they continue to write on this to help us understand how to actually do that, how we can actually love others like Jesus loved us. And so Paul, who was a major leader in the beginning of Jesus's movement and in the church, he wrote almost half of the Christian scriptures and he wrote a great letter that we can still uh, take some wisdom from today. And Pastor Sherry taught about some last week and she taught about this love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. And let me tell you, it was a great sermon. So I highly recommend you go back and watch Pastor Sherry. Absolutely kill it. Just don't do it right now. I know that Pastor Michelle said you could bring out your phones, but it's like, please don't watch her sermon. Just, you can watch it later. Okay. She taught about those things, and I'm just gonna continue that. Continue his line of thinking of what it looks like to love like Jesus. And he writes, love is not self-seeking. And self-seeking is just another way to say selfish. Love is not selfish. Here's the problem, people are selfish. And you don't need me to tell you that, and I don't need to be told that because I have kids. They come out of the womb selfish. But here's what's funny about selfishness. It's really easy to see in other people but not so much for ourselves. We see our boss's selfishness. We see our mom or our dad's selfishness. We see our spouse's selfishness. We see everyone else's selfishness, but it's really hard to see our own. It's very difficult to spot. But here's the thing, selfishness is a big barrier to great relationships. Selfishness is a problem, but it's not just the Christian world, it's not just the scripture that talks about this. This is something that's even in popular culture. So Harvard professor and New York Times best-selling author Adam Grant, he wrote a book called Give and Take. And this book was about the role selfishness plays in our work life and our home life and what that looks like. And he, he broke it down that people fit into three general categories. There are takers, there are givers, and there are matchers. And now takers, that's easy to understand, takers take. They're generally in relationships more for what they can get out of it for more than what they can give, right? They get, they don't try to give. And I don't think I need to tell y'all what that's like because I see some people nodding their head right now, right? You, you probably know a taker. You know somebody that I'm talking about and you're like, Lord Jesus, let me please listen to the rest of this sermon and not think about this person, okay? That's what a taker is. A giver is somebody who naturally gives in relationships. They're kind. They're generous, and they don't necessarily think about how you're gonna respond or how you respond, they just give. And they're very generous people. 
And what his research finds is that givers are more happy. Givers have better home lives, they have better work, they're happier in life, and they're more fulfilled in all aspects of their life. That's what giving does. But the last category to me is more interesting. It's matchers. And so matchers match what the other person in the relationship is doing. So if you take, they take. If you give, they give. They're reflecting the other person's behavior back to them. And if we're honest, this is probably what we were taught. This is very socially acceptable to be a matcher. Well, don't take anything from anybody. Once they push you, you push them back. Right? And we learned this about giving too. Well, if you find somebody that's giving, you can give back. You're free to do that. Here's the hard thing. I think we match because we're protecting ourselves. I think we match because we don't want to seem weak. We match because we're scared of what could be coming. And that's hard. But is that love? Is matching unselfish? So are you a giver, taker, matcher? Think about that. And here's the thing. Givers are what we all wanna be. They have a better life. And so we gotta learn how to become givers. So it says the key to becoming a giver is to put others before ourselves in our relationship. That's not just this book. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul wrote. The key to becoming a giver is to put others before ourselves in the relationship. That means we put others first. We place others above us. We treat them like they're more important even though they're not more important. But being a giver isn't a doormat. It's not being weak. It's not letting people walk all over you. That's not what being a giver is. Being a giver is using your power in service of others. Being a giver is loaning people your strength when they're at their weakest. It's loaning people your strength when they're struggling. That's what it means to be a giver. Let me talk to my dudes for a second, my guys, my bros, fathers, uncles, sons, TOs, the whole deal. I wanna to talk to you because we were built for this. We were built to use our power in service of others. We've been given strength so that we can love others and lift them up, not break them down. We haven't been given power or strength to control. We haven't been given power or strength to belittle or to make small. We haven't been given power or strength to dominate. When you hurt people that you love because you cannot control yourself, that's not strength, that's weakness. It's childish, it's immature. But you know what they call it when you grow up? They call it abuse. That's not what your strength and your power are made for. You're meant to love others. You're meant to share your strength and truly love them. And we can do this. We can do this because this is what Jesus did for us. So whether you're a man, woman, whatever, Jesus did this for all of us and he was the ultimate giver and so he gives us the example. Even though he was the son of God, the king of kings, the highest of all, up here, like God in the flesh, he could have made us bow down to him but instead he knelt for us. He knelt down for us even though he didn't have to. And so the big idea of how to be unselfish in relationships, growing up means kneeling down. Growing up means kneeling down. That's the example that Jesus gave us. And we can do that. And that's the key to being unselfish in our relationships. 
Unselfishness is really what we wanna be. It's the key to having great relationships. We can be unselfish, we can be grown-ups, we can get rid of our immaturity, we can get rid of our childish ways if we're unselfish. And so now you're sitting there, you might be thinking, okay, cool, sermon over, we can catch an early lunch? That's gonna be awesome. Okay, we'll, we'll get a reservation at first watch. Okay, but you might be going, okay, John, that sounds easy, but that's hard to do. And I agree, it is absolutely hard to do. And so Paul continues writing to give us more examples of how we can be unselfish, how we can kneel in our relationships because growing up means kneeling down. He goes on when he writes, love is not easily angered. Now the key word there is easily. Anger is not a sin. Anger is not wrong. Any of your feelings or emotions are not sinful or wrong. It's not the feeling, it's what we do with it. And if you're easily angered, you get stirred up over anything. At the drop of the hat, you react with anger. And the people around you are probably uncomfortable and walking on eggshells. Kind of keep them, hold them hostage with your easily angered self. And that's really hard for people to deal with because they don't know when you're gonna go off. They don't know what's gonna set you off. And then when you go off, all that anger comes out onto other people and it can be overwhelming. You make people feel small. You can make people feel less than. You can make people feel insignificant when you power up. When you power up. But that's not how love works. That's not what you're meant to do because making others feel small is not strength. That's weakness. It's not grown up, it's immature. And we're using our anger to do that. And that's not the way we have great relationships. Making other people feel significant or make insignificant or making other people feel small. Instead, we're supposed to use our power in service of others, not to power up, but to lift them up. Love is not easily angered. And if you're here and you struggle with anger, I get it, it's hard to deal with. I totally understand, and this is a place where you can talk about it, because Pastor Brent has shared so many stories about his anger. Our senior pastor, he talks about how angry he was so that a little kid, a toddler, told him he was evil. Because that's how angry he got. And anger's a serious thing, but we wanna deal with it because you don't have to stay angry. But here's the best way we know how to deal with it. It's a program that we call Peeling the Onion, or PTO. And, woo, yeah, okay, hey. And you know why people cheer for it? Because it works. Okay, peeling the onion peels away the core issues because there's something that causes the anger. You're not built with it, it's not just there. There's something in your life that happened in the past that gave you that anger that sits inside. And so the purpose of the program is to peel away those layers to understand what's really in there and get at that core issue. There's one coming up on March 19th the orientation is on March 19th, as I said. You can sign up out in the center pavilion. You can go to city.church/pto. I highly recommend it for unpacking those anger issues. All right, the next thing Paul says is that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Or if he was talking like we talk, he'd probably say, love ain't always bringing up old stuff. Right? Love isn't about holding a grudge, and we do this in our relationships. You see, like your parent make a mistake, and you go, mm, 
I'm gonna save that one for later. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. Okay, put that in the file, hold on, put that in the filing cabinet, file that away for when I need it. Or our spouse says something in the heat of the argument and you're really hurt and you're like, yeah, but I'm gonna use this later. <laughs> okay, file that away and I'll bring that up at the right date. That's what keeping records means and let me be honest, I am really bad about this. I'm really bad, especially when it comes to my kids. I keep a lot of records of wrong. In fact, as I was preparing this talk, I talked to my eight-year-old about it, and he's like, yeah, you are like that. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> right? But it's easy, right? Because it's like, I want a Happy Meal, okay? <sighs> Let me tell you about the last time we got you a Happy Meal and how that went. Now, this doesn't mean you can't hold your kids accountable, but keeping a record of wrongs is about making them feel less in the moment to try to control the behavior or to take the high ground. You file it away for later. Here's the thing about keeping a record of our wrongs. Jesus doesn't do that to us. And that's good. I don't know about you, but I've done some wrong things. Has anybody here ever done something wrong? Okay, the rest of y'all are still waking up. You lost an hour, that's okay. <laughs> but we've all done something wrong. We all have, and Jesus doesn't do that for us. He forgives us, he has grace. And so he has said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Let me give you a better image for what that looks like since we don't stone people anymore. <laughs> Imagine that Jesus is sitting next to your filing cabinet when you're about to pull the wrong out of somebody else's, you're about to go in the filing cabinet and he's looking at you, he's like, you sure you wanna do this? You sure? Because if he unfurls it, it's gonna be like that movie Bruce Almighty where it's like and the filing cabinet just keeps going with all your wrongs. So imagine Jesus like, you sure you wanna do this? And I know that as a record keeper, um, I don't keep the best records about myself. Record keepers tend to overlook their own stuff and your filing system is all messed up for the wrongs that you've done. Everybody else's is perfectly organized with like the Dewey Decimal Index or whatever, but yours, not so much. It's easy to spot the wrong in others. And I think we do this because again, it's about being on the high horse, having the high moral ground, figuring out a way to be right and we put others down. But that's not what love does because growing up is kneeling down. Growing up is placing others above ourselves and putting others in front of us. That's love, it's not keeping a record of wrongs. All right, now, at the end of this, of this few verses, Paul really goes into a lot of concepts. Oh, what's the best part of a fireworks show? The end, the end of the fireworks show. At the 8.30 service, there was a little girl that was in there, it was like, fireworks! Was just so excited for what it was. And so fireworks at the end, because they, they let them all off. It's like, pow, 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 and they shoot everything they have. And this is what Paul is doing in this section, because he lists a lot of really great truths that we could take so much time to teach, but I'm just gonna go rapid fire. Are you guys with me? Yeah. All right, pay attention, because we're gonna go fast. Love always protects. Love always protects, and what, and what this means is to bear. To bear, not like this kind of bear, or that kind of bear, but like to bear, to shield people from what might harm them, to shield people from what might be pouring over them. That's what it means to protect. When we protect, we keep the bad stuff out of our loved one's lives, especially when it doesn't benefit them. 
I had a really good example of this growing up in my mom. She protected me from a lot of family drama. I mean, it, it's crazy. Like, and so I would just go just being a little kid and interact with these family functions, not knowing all the crazy stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And so now when I go to dinner at my parents, and they're like, yeah, do you remember your aunt? Well, she used to be your cousin because she, she was married to your cousin, and now she's married to your uncle. And I'm like, I had no idea. That's crazy. I know I'm not the only one with a messed up family, okay? <laughs> but she protected me from it because a kid doesn't need to know that. A kid doesn't need to know that. You can be protected from all that and grow up in ignorance. That's fine. That's what it means by love protects. All right, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And trust, it doesn't mean love is gullible. It doesn't mean that love believes everything anybody says. What it means by trust, it means it fills the gap with trust instead of suspicion. And there are gaps in our relationships. And it's easy to fill them with suspicion versus trust. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt, even when you don't want to. That's what it means to trust. Love always hopes, we, we assume the best about people. In our family, we like to call it full buckets. You keep full buckets for people. You keep the bucket of trust full. Because when the trust goes down, you start to suspect things about why they're doing it. And I'm like, why are my kids not cleaning up? They don't respect me. They don't love me. Oh, or maybe they're eight and four. <laughs> when my buckets are empty, though, it becomes this bigger deal, and I'm filling the gap with suspicion as opposed to trust of going, they're little kids. It's fine. So we gotta keep those for our relationship, assuming the best. See, love sees, believes, and hopes the best, and overlooks the rest. Love sees, believes, and hopes the best, but overlooks the rest. I know that that's hard to do. I know that that's a difficult thing, but that's what love is about. It's about assuming the best, it's about hoping the best for the other person. And love, it says love always perseveres. And the word persevere, it's like a word picture. It creates a picture, and it means stand under the heavy weight. It means to hold something heavy or something difficult and to stay, to endure instead of leaving. And man, being an adult can be heavy. Being in a relationship, being a grown-up can be so hard. It can get real heavy and we go, ah, I just want to bail. This is hard to do, but persevering means staying in even when it's hard. It's staying there and it's holding on, not abandoning. Now, I do want to say something about this. Persevere does not mean you have to endure an abusive relationship. That's not what Paul is trying to say. That was never what he had in mind. He never had in mind somebody enduring an abusive relationship. And if that's you and here today, we wanna help. I know that it can be complicated because you love people. You love, it can be very complicated and there's no shame in it. Okay, we just wanna help and we can talk to you. I just wanna make sure that you know that's not what persevering means. That's not what enduring means. And Paul finishes up this big finale with the biggest firework of all, love never fails. Love never fails. If relationships in life are a test, you will never fail if you answer love. 
I don't know how many of you grew up in Sunday school, but one of the first things that I was taught when I started going to church is if you're not paying attention and somebody asks you a question, just yell Jesus. <laughs> That's almost always the right answer. And when it comes to relationships, that's love. If you answer the test with love, you will not fail. Love does not fail. So anything that comes up, you answer it with love because love will stand up, love will make it better. So any situation that you have, answer with love. Think, what does love require of me in this situation? And do that. Love never fails. It is difficult to love people sometimes, and I understand, and I see a big reason why this happens, and it's not necessarily your fault. Paul goes on and he writes, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, when we're a kid, we're not held to the same standard as when we're adults, right? Kids mess up, you're learning. You haven't figured it all out yet. We don't hold them to the same standard. But when you're a kid, you, you are learning and you need to be taught. Kids need to be taught how to do things. Think of all the things that you know how to do. Balancing a checkbook, mowing a lawn, shaving, making tamales, making King Ranch chicken, making cornbread. I might just be hungry. <laughs> how to shave, how to whatever. You're taught how to do these things. So who taught you how to do those things? Did that adult, did that grown-up in your life, those grown-ups in your life also teach you how to be a good parent? Did they teach you how to be a good friend? Did they teach you how to be a good family member? Because as kids, we don't necessarily learn by what people say, we learn by what they do. And you might not have had good examples of this growing up, and that can be very difficult. See, if your adults, if your grown-ups in your life didn't love you well, it is really hard to love others well. It becomes really difficult because you haven't seen it. And so if that's you, if the adults in your life give you a bad example of relationships, I just wanna say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had to deal with that. And I know that it's gonna make loving others very difficult. I know that it can be challenging to really become a giver, to really be unselfish in relationships if you haven't been loved well. But it's not impossible. You can absolutely do this. Your relationships deserve it, your spouse deserves it, your boss deserves it, your friends deserve it, your family deserves it, and you deserve it. You can have great relationships. Like I said, it's gonna be hard, but here's the good thing. Even if our parents loved us well, even if the grown-ups in our life treated us absolutely wonderfully, they were not perfect. And so we always have an example that we can look to to teach us how to love. And so if you haven't been loved well, right, if you're here today and you say, John, I haven't, been, I haven't been loved well, I don't know what a functional, healthy relationship looks like because I've never seen it. If that's you, you can learn to love. And if you're here and you're going, I don't even feel worthy of love, I don't think anybody could love me because of the trauma you've endured because of the shame, because of the suffering, you say, I can't possibly be loved, not even Jesus. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus loves you. If you don't listen to anything else I say, Jesus loves you. And we can love others because he first loved us. And let me tell you about Jesus' love. It's good. There's nothing that can separate you from it. 
There's nothing, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you, and he can be the example of how we love others. So what does Jesus' love look like? Let me tell you about that love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. No height, no depth, no life of final could ever separate us from your love No failure, no mistake, no loneliness or pain Could ever separate us from your love Cause on the other side of everything I'm afraid of You were standing with your arms wide Wide open, even in my deepest doubts and wonders, and you were standing with your arms wide open, wide open. I'm strong. Oh, I found where I belong. Forever I'm alive now in your love. I'm changed, unchained by your amazing grace. Forever I'm alive now in your love. Cause on the other side of everything I'm afraid Farthest ocean, you give the morning its light. I can't run from your presence, cause there's no place that far. So I run to you, my Savior, and there's safety in your arms. If I make my bed in darkness, if I try my best to hide, you know the farthest ocean. Give the morning its light I can't run from your presence Cause there's no place 
I'm afraid of You were standing with your arms wide loves you and he's standing with his arms wide open and if you follow him, if you go with him, he will teach you how to love like he loves you. Let's pray. God, I pray. God, somebody in here probably doesn't believe and I just wanna say Jesus came and he gave his life because God so loved the world. Jesus gave his life so that none should perish but have eternal life. And if you're here and you're going, I want this love, I don't know what this love is like, there's not a lot of religious hoops to jump through. There's not a lot of rituals. You just have to say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I want this kind of love. And if that's you, you can just pray it in this moment. You can just believe it in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud because Jesus knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. For others of us, God, whether we were loved well, whether we weren't loved well, we're gonna try to love like you this week. We're gonna try to be unselfish. We're gonna try to kneel. Give us, give us the strength. God, give us the courage to love like you this week. In your name, amen.